Welcome to Neutral Exposure, a space for reflection and inspiration with photographers across a range of disciplines. My name's Al Sims. It's interesting, actually. Moving down here uh, had an impact on my work for sure. It, it, um, I think, I think your visibility um, on social media, people realise that um, the world. Everybody kind of figures out sooner or later that you're in Cornwall, and then, then they don't really think that you're available anymore. So, okay. it's, so it's quite, quite challenging to keep reminding people, you know, that. Um, Actually, you can still be there in less than uh, you know, like less than six hours. I can be in London. I can be yeah, there yeah. for first thing in the morning if I catch the sleeper. You know, like it, it. You wouldn't even notice a difference really, other than you know, from a client perspective. Um, but that 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 doesn't you know, it's like a constant battle of trying to remind people that that you don't. Everything's so London centric that the minute you step out of it, everybody thinks you're not available anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, I, remember chat, I remember chatting to someone who was saying, you know, that sometime in the nineties he had a studio up in like Leamington Spa or somewhere, and you know, some some client called him and he said where the studio was, and they just put the phone down. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he's joking. Yeah, I mean that sounds about right. Um, but so so you know, as as a consequence, actually, it's made me rethink. Um, made me rethink, you know, like how I approach my business. Like, what do I want to do? with the majority of my time from a work perspective and I, you know and I started working um because of that I reached out to um, a local chef down here who's got quite a good presence and uh, he's got a cookbook and doing quite well and I started working quite closely with him and produced a project about um like well best around his practice which is in the rural part of Cornwall um mm. even more remote than most places and you know the the sustainability of the local produce and how you know how he employs that in his own practice. So that's been quite interesting and really rewarding, actually. Mm. So opened up quite a few doors locally speaking, and and I, and you know the rewards for living down here is community. Like I met, I've met and become friends with more people in in the short space of time I lived in here than I did you know in five years of living in London. Yeah, it's um, the upside. Yeah, good time. Yeah, and um, and and. For- in terms of other other photographers, you know, is there anyone else kind of on on your level down there? Um, well, yeah, I think there's actually some really talented people down here. Um, the the but every you know, it's it's a different ball game um, to to what I've been used to. You know, like in you know, even before I you know lived in London, I was up in Leeds. Um, when you live in a city, there's, there's a full range of clients to match the full range of photographers, you know, from budding amateur to just gone professional to, you know, seasoned lifetime pro. And th- there's budgets to match that, clients to match that, you know, like there's a band who might want a portrait for 50 quid. There's a restaurant who might want a menu shooting for 250 quid, you know, yeah. like as well as, you know, all, all the big agency stuff. Um, and in Cornwall, that doesn't really exist. Um, in in the southwest, essentially, what you have is one one pool of clients and one um, pool of photographers. And so, you know, I might I might come along with 
um, all the experience in, of commercial work that I have, and it doesn't really mean anything. It's quite, it's a, it's a, you know, being out here is a great leveler. It is the time you spend making those connections and, um, you know, those those things and local loyalties is really highly regarded. So actually breaking into the photography um, business down here is remarkably challenging compared to being in London. Um, because you actually have to build up relationships. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It's, you know, like it, very few people um, will look at my portfolio and go, absolutely smashing, let's book you. Because they've already been using somebody you know, for two, three, five, ten years. Um, right. And that's worth more than my experience. And I actually respect that massively yeah, because yeah. it might not that's be cool. good. It might not be good for me, but loyalty, um, you know, I, I, you know, to, to to get clients that are loyal to you is, is such a blessing that when somebody, you know, when somebody says that, then I'm like, well, good for you and good for that photographer because that's, that's a really beautiful thing. Um, yeah. You know, in 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 the world that I've moved in before, loyalty um, is is seemingly um, quite a fragile thing. For um, sure, yeah, especially if you get used to used to uh, how things operate in London, where it's um, uh, yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's all, re- all, re- all reputation, no relationship. Yeah, I mean, and also even if you think you've built a relationship in, in London. Um, it can just disappear overnight because people get bored and move on, you know. And again, yeah. that's actually not something you can really argue about. I think that's just something you have to accept. And I, I certainly do. I haven't been in the game long enough to have experienced um, all, all angles like that, for sure. So, yeah, down here is quite, quite a different thing. There are, so the, the, the pool of photographers down here ranges from the, the people who, you know, work second jobs who really want to be photographers. But probably, probably won't end up because there's not. I don't think there's enough work in Cornwall to sustain an exclusively Cornish photography business. Right. Like if you can do that, it's a miracle. And I think that the people that do that supplement it with weddings. And um, and I and again, I have actually I have maximum respect for wedding photographers. I think it's probably if you're a good wedding photographer, you're probably one of the best photographers in the world because you know how to deal with almost every situation. Yeah, and not um, miss opportunities. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but that the, the stress of working weddings just isn't isn't my bag at all. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's 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 actually quite a challenge being a photographer down here in the southwest. Yeah, but then I guess you know if you if you're from Leeds, I'm 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 from Skipton, so um, okay. I, you know, I, well, I, um, my I kind of grew up from Grassington. Oh right, uh, well, my, my my folks live in Connolly, so um, yeah, I've still still got a foot in the in 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 the north. But um, yeah, I guess Leeds must have been very kind of in comparison to London and then to Cornwall, <clears throat> kind of kind of somewhere in the middle, you know, because there's very much a kind of you can yeah. build up quite a, a strong connection there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Leeds is where I built my career foundations. Um, and that was, you know, like my actual proper paid career was almost exclusively London-based. Um, but I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have got there without the foundations of being in Leeds, to be honest with you. Because when, yeah. I, when I started out, um, 
I, I, you know, right now, I don't, you will, if you were on my website right now, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't recognize the photographer that I was even, say, five years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, especially five years ago, actually. You know, five years ago, I was 100% music photographer. Um, but over the last five years, I've, I don't know, I feel like I've kind of started to find the voice that I am as a photographer, not just a music fan, which is how I started out, really. Yeah, yeah, I um, think you can definitely see that. I mean, I, 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 I saw the work that you were shooting when you were, you know, solely a, a music photographer. Because uh, I mean, that was that was the first kind of thing that got me to pick up a camera. It was shooting live music, and uh, it was it was it was folks like you and Tom Barnes, who I, I spoke to a couple of weeks ago as well. But it was like it was it was it was, it was your work that was just like, oh, this is what you you know, this is what you aim for if you're shooting live music. Yeah, so so all that kind of kicked off for me up in Leeds. Um, because that's where I lived, and I've been playing in bands. I've been, I mean, the time I picked up a camera, I think I was playing in three bands. I was doing the front of house for a working men's club band, and I uh, was promoting gigs at the Brudenell Social Club in Leeds. Um, Institution. Yeah, uh, and, and a few other venues around town. And I, I started photographing all those things that I was doing and involved with, and it and it turned out that um, I really enjoyed photography, and I and I never thought of it as anything other than, you know, just another creative voice. Really, I, I never took it quite seriously, and until, um, I suppose I had a massive fallout with the band that I was in, and we all we broke up, and it was incredibly acrimonious, and it made me put my bass down, and it kind of broke mm. my heart a little bit. Um, yeah. So at that time photography had already been bubbling away in the background and all that energy and all that angst and all that like I don't know I've been a I, for me I don't ever wanted to be a musician since I was 12 and I'd done you know I'd worked a lot of part-time shitty jobs um in around based around trying to be a musician um so I had no intention or even any skill set to speak of um, and I didn't even have a frame of mind to think differently. I just started photographing because it was something I was enjoying. And it became, I became quite heavily involved in the Leeds music scene because there was a fanzine out at the time called Sandman, and that was really popular in Leeds. And um, that gave me a place, you know, to create. And it came from yeah. there, really. And, and the, as soon as, you know, I did that for quite a few years, like three or four times a week, I was out shooting for, for this fanzine. And then, and I never really considered payment of any type or money it, because it, it just was something I was loving and everybody was in the same boat, all, you know, unsigned bands and a free yeah. fanzine. So everybody was doing, you know, contributing through the love of music. And then out of the blue, I got a phone call from the NME one day saying that they'd heard that I was the go-to photographer in the North of England for, for live music, for bands, whatever. And that's how that's that first up, first I've heard about it, but thanks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of was like that, it, you know, like seriously, like, you know, it was such being a part of that community back then was so awesome um, that like, it just felt like you were part of a community. Never, it, it, it never felt like anyone, you know, I never felt like I was a photographer for such a long time. I just felt like I was doing something I loved within, you know, like within music. So yeah, when they call like, me, I, 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 I can relate to that. You know, like being in a band, and then when that finishes, still wanting to be part of that scene. Yeah, is is a brilliant thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, so you know, like my my career foundations are absolutely in Leeds. But then, as soon as the NME called, I, I I you know was able to, after about 
after shooting for them for about six months, I was able to quit my day job and um, go full-time professional. But And so for, for like four or five years, almost exclusively, my paycheck was from the NME. And, I, and okay. due to uh, that London-centric uh, lack of decent geography, everybody thought the north of England started at Nottingham and ended at Inverness. So I, I was uh, blessed, absolutely blessed, and so lucky to have that opportunity and um you know and and i took it with you know with both hands and ran with it it was yeah. it was pretty awesome I, I was out shooting three or four times a week from doing you know demo unsigned bands to doing bigger printed stuff in in a weekly magazine every you know like say three or four times a week for them yeah do, do you remember what that first gig was that they called um it? i do actually yeah I, I i well i say i can't speak with absolute certainty because i have shot thousands and thousands and thousands of bands now but i'm pretty sure it was um, a manchester band called the wick and it mm. was in um some sort of weird makeshift shift venue somewhere in manchester because i used to go to manchester so much like the places that would send me the most were manchester and glasgow um so yeah I, and i'm pretty sure it was um, a manchester band called the whip so it wasn't you know it wasn't like they were good they were lovely people actually and i went on to meet and hang out with them you know, many, many times after that. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then, and then you, you, you started shooting with the Kaiser Chiefs a lot. Was that, yeah. was that a relationship that was built through NME or were they friends from Leeds or no, how did that come about? That, that was an, a relationship built through the NME, to be honest with you. I, weirdly, like, um, I'd met, uh, so I used to play in a band called Brody, and Brody, um, our EP. Was... I, I, I actually saw you guys. Yeah. Get out of town! Yeah, I, I, honestly, I was I was about twelve or thirteen, maybe. What? Yeah, Where did you no see? Uh, I want to say, I want to say Joseph's Well, maybe. Well, funnily enough, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to mention next. Um, which, was, landlords... which, which, which I fucking missed. Joseph's Well was a great venue. It was, yeah. The landlord of the Joseph's Well was a guy called Mido, who um, now is like a tour manager um, who travels all over the world. But he um, he was so he was so fund fundamental. He was so, like a, a proper socialist within the music scene, and he did everything he could to help bands. And um, we were looking to put out a demo, and we couldn't afford it. So Mido was like, you know what? I'll set up a record label and I'll put it up for you. <laughs> so he did, nice. you know, and he put out a CD for us. Um, and at that time, um, the bass player, Simon, and the keyboard player, Peanut, used to work uh, from the Kaiser used to work in the well. Right. So the, the only time I'd ever spoken to them um, prior to, like, properly working with them was, I remember, Oh My God had come out and it had blown up, like, and it had done remarkably well. And I think they'd even played live eight and they'd come back uh home after this like huge like insane gig playing like live to like seven million people on tv worldwide and then um they come back to pull a few pints behind the bar and i think my band were playing that night and i remember seeing simon and, and saying to him like oh congratulations on single it's doing really well i hope that works out for you and then um then within about six months, they'd sold four and a half million copies in the UK alone. It, 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 was, it, was, it was a huge explosion, I remember It that. was, yeah. So that time, like, I'd, I'd, um, that was like about, I don't know, that was a couple of years before I started shooting for the enemy because like, I, I, by the time I got to know them and started shooting for them, they were on their second record. So that was like, you know, that, that was like I said, just when the singles had come out 
maybe 2005 when I saw them. Something like that, yeah. Um, and then um, when I when I started working for them, that was 2007, and I'd, I'd shot them. I shot them at Glastonbury actually in 2007, and I, my first ever Glastonbury. It was probably the the most horrific. I'd, I've I've been maybe ten times now, and that was probably the most horrific one I've I've ever been to. The weather was like just rain from Thursday to Sunday. It was it was absolutely insane. And um and on the Sunday, um traditionally all the enemy writers and photographers all head back home and they just leave a skeleton crew. Um and they were looking for volunteers and being completely and utterly green, I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I'd, I'd, at the time I didn't have a way to get home. But I was so I was so excited just just about being there. And it'd been a rough year. I'd lost my dad and everything. You know, like okay. it'd been an incredibly difficult time for me. So, like when I, when these opportunities came to me, I I absolutely fucking loved it. I just couldn't get my head around how lucky I was. Um, so when they were like, "Okay, who wants to stay on Sunday?" I thought it would be a fight. I thought everybody'd be like, "Yeah, me, me, me," and I was like, "Me, me," and I was like, <laughs> the only person like volunteering. Yeah, and everybody was like, "Thank fuck for that." So I was looking around, going, "Oh, oh, is this not the uh, the lucky situation I thought it was?" <laughs> so anyway, there's just me and and one journalist. But um, out of that, you know, I basically the last thing I had to photograph was the Kaiser Chiefs on the pyramid stage. And it was on the Sunday night, and it like again, it was the rain was fucking horrific, and um, I just remember it being epic. I loved it so much. Anyway, shot that. One of the, one of the photographs I got from that is probably the most photograph, important photograph I think I've ever taken, from mm. from a personal point of view because um, I used that to open doors with their management and um, and I hounded um, their management for like maybe like through to August September that was June so like for about three months I emailed and phoned and spoke to in person and then I saw them. The, um, at Wireless Festival, when when Wireless used to do well, what, yeah, yeah. You know, um, up in Leeds, and then yeah. I saw them at Leeds Festival when they like um, I think it was a secret set as a different band name, and I, um, and I just kept pushing and pushing, and then I the, he said, all right, I'll ask the band, and he put it to the band um, who, who were in between photographers at the time. They'd always had a guy, but it it moved to America, okay. um, and yeah, and they took me out on the road. And that that changed everything because what I'd realised in the time, you know, and I'd only been shooting for the mag- magazine at that time, you know, for about a year, um, and full time for about, you know, six seven months. Um, I think what I realised was I couldn't have all my eggs in one basket, and even though most of my money was coming from there, I had to figure out a way because I, w- I was actually thirty one at the time. Um, in fact, by the time I toured with the Kaiser Chiefs, um, I was thirty two, and. And all my peers were like, the, the, you know, there was one person older than me at the magazine and everybody else was around 24 years old. So I felt, constantly felt on the back foot um, with, with like how much time I had to give it. Um, and, you know, being pragmatic about it, really, I, you know, I thought to myself, by the time I'm 40, I might not actually want to be stood in welly high mud at Glastonbury carrying 15 kilos of lenses around with me. Sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just kept. I, I was quite. I, I was quite. Um, I used that. Well, I, that, I guess. I guess um, also in that world, you know, it's like you shoot until eleven, but then you've got to finish the pictures. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I mean that's not actually even, you know, true. Um, quite often, especially at Glastonbury, you shoot until the picture editor tells you to stop, which can be like three or four in the morning. Um, mm. And then there's a team meeting at ten or eleven, and then you you're in your wellies for fourteen, fifteen hours. Um, those are really long days, and even at regular festivals, yeah, that's more like you shoot until eleven, but then you edit until probably three in the morning. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't know um, what my, I forgot what my bloody point was. Oh yeah, I was just catching up with my peers, just all, always like so. I was um, working. I, I tried to grab every opportunity I could whilst I, whilst I could, and that Kaiser Chiefs thing I saw it as probably one of the most big ones because it would get me out of being just an editorial photographer and be recognised in the industry as somebody who works for artists. Mm. Um, and I, I think that was quite a big step for me. Yeah, yeah. And it was all off the back of volunteering for that last night. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Which which was awesome, it, you know. I, I, I After I finished my edit, I tried to finish it as quick as I could. Chemical Brothers were closing the other stage. Mm. And because it was my first class, I'd always wanted to go and watch the closing band on the other stage because it was always like an electronic band that I loved. And um, so, yeah, I went on my own and um, the mud was like glue and you were like, you couldn't really dance. You could just like bop your knees and you couldn't dance anyway because it was about two inches from going over at the top of your wellies. Um, and I was on my own and I stood there with a fag and a pint and <laughs> absolutely loved it. Felt like, yeah. yeah. It, the next day was horrible. Like It took me... 18 hours to get back to Leeds. <laughs> Bloody hell. Uh, yeah. So I, never, then, so I never volunteered for a Sunday ever yeah. again without my own Well, you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't need to. That, that first one was, was the only one that mattered. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, so how, how, how long were you on the road with, with, with the Kaiser Chiefs for after then? Um, well, I mean, I, I've worked with them. Um, I, still, I still work with them. I'd, I'd actually say, probably say, they're more my friends these days than they are my clients, to be honest. Mm. Um, on this last album that they did, I didn't actually do anything with them. I remember we, we for, um, for the album prior to this, we did, we, we've done for, like press shoots and live shoots on everything. I think the last big thing I did with them, I actually shot a music video for them whilst they were on tour with Foo Fighters in South America. Okay. Um, and that was a hell of a lot of fun. And then, um, so I guess it was like three or four years ago. And then on this new album cycle, I I, don't, I actually suggested to them a few years ago that it might be a good idea if they tried somebody else because mm. like we'd we'd been doing shit for so long that I was like, if you want some new creative energy, I think that it's it's okay to do that, you know. Like it, it you feel you can be too protective of your own um, situation for your own good. And I, and so yeah, I think this this time they were they actually went out and got somebody else to do a shoot, um, which is probably a good thing. So I think that when you come back to it, you you're a bit fresher. So um, yeah, so but I yeah. guess I've been working like over a decade. Nice. Um, yeah, and I and I love it actually. When I go shoot with them, it's like going home. Oh no, the last thing I shot from was last year. They did Ellen Road, um, the tenth anniversary of when they first played it. Um, and they got me along to do the, the photographs for that. Nice. So then, yeah. um, was it a kind of a, how how much longer were you based up in Leeds? You know, kind of what point did did kind of London draw you down? Um, I mean, I was based up in Leeds for 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 a hell of a long time, actually. Um, so that was like two thousand seven. I didn't move to London until twenty fourteen. 
Okay. Yeah, so another seven years. I I, I um because my most of my work when I was working editorially was everywhere in the country and overseas. So I never, apart from the convenience of an airport being nearby, I never really had a reason to move to London. Um, it was only when I got an agent and um, I started to have less editorial work and my work was more London-based that it made sense for me to be there. Um, and yeah, so that was like 2014. Um, but I, I didn't particularly enjoy living in London, so uh, I'm glad I was able to hold it off for as long as possible. Was it a challenge to kind of shift away from just being known as a live music photographer? Yeah, yeah, it was. I've, I'd always, um, I've, all, I've always shot band portraits. Even even back in when I was doing stuff for the zine, I was shooting band portraits, um, and I've always found it really immensely frustrating that I was um, never considered with equal merit a portrait photographer. Yeah, um, and it took me a long time to um, like to get that. A recognition for, for for that side of stuff, and actually, I feel like it was probably when um, in in you know in two in two thousand eleven, I actually got asked by Q magazine if I'd go con- go shoot for those guys, and that was a re- like a real big moment for me because um, I'd grown up as a photographer at the enemy, and I think um, I love I loved my picture editor there, Marion Patterson, and she was. Um, she was the person who called me and first gave me that opportunity. And, and when when my old man died and I needed work and I explained, I was like, I just, I'm, I'm going out of my fucking mind. I need, I need to dis- be distracted. She was there for me and she helped me and guided me and and she was awesome. However, I feel like because I, I went from being a very average, if not a little bit shit photographer uh, under a tu- you know under a wing to being pretty you know pretty good yeah. i feel like she still saw me as being um a sort of a junior within the ranks right. of the enemy even though like i was treated as a veteran and all this shit you know like in terms of the gigs that i got to photograph i feel like i was still kind of like she she still had her favorites like dean chalker and tom Oxley. okay and um so when i went to when q magazine asked me um if i'd go shoot for them Jesus Christ, that was like breaking up with a girlfriend, like splitting up with the enemy. It was such a hard, like hard decision to make. But I feel like it was it was a clean slate for me, and I was going in there with without any like the only um, preconception that um, Russ had, uh, the picture editor, was that I was a music photographer and that he loved what I did, and that you know, and immediately the gigs I got with them were were fifty fifty equal portraits, equal. Um, um, like live stuff, but really good bands, you know, like of, like to do portraits with like Biffy, for example, mm. or go to Tokyo and do a, a, a feature on Saint Vincent, or you know, like it were, it like I'd stepped up a level, yeah, and, and then, from junior to senior, yeah, and then like you know that same year that almost immediately as as, as soon as I'd, as soon as I started having like those gigs and um, you know Rolling Stone called me and asked me to shoot a Foo Fighters cover with um, for them. Um, and that, I was like, okay, fucking hell, there's some momentum now, mm. you know? Um, and my portraits just started to grow significantly around that at that point. Um, 
and I, and I got started, yeah, I feel like people started to take me more, more seriously, which coincidentally, you know, came around the same time as I got an agent, so that he he was able to see that and then get get more gigs um, based around the portraiture that I was doing. But it was still, you know, incredibly music business based. Um, even though I was trying to get into the more commercial work at the time, that was um, that was a real that was a you know a huge challenge that I'm still trying to crack that egg today. Really, like you know, I've got obviously if you look at my portfolio, I've got a few um, a few shoots in there that reflect that angle, but it's not um, yeah, it's 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 um, fewer few rather than often, very few. <laughs> Yeah, <clears throat> I suppose it must get to a point where um, it takes a lot of energy to be a live music photographer. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, 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 it's... Um, or a lot of stamina. Yeah, and also, you know, like, I, I work... Um, another, side, another side of what I do is I um, run, run a business called Fanatic, mm. and we um, do official photography for festivals and um, large events. And um, that started out as back in 2010 or something, you know, a, a passion project and nothing else. It was just a way because I always felt like photographers were always on their own and I was trying to figure out a way to not be on my own. And I wanted to be around other photographers. And like, I, I always felt my, I was inspired and worked harder. And like, and that, that thing from the NME where we used to do like the NME Awards or Glastonbury or Leeds and Reading or Tea in the Park. And all the photographers would come together. The camaraderie was just like so beautiful, and I wanted my own way of carrying that forward in my life. Um, so that's when Fanatic started. Okay. And now, now that's grown into a, a much bigger business, and we have you know like ten photographers, uh, freelance with us, and we work, we shoot twenty. Well, we did obviously Corona. We did um, twenty five festivals, another ten, fifteen like events and big like product launches and stuff like that you know it's really interesting business but that was also like as that was being immersed in the festival world i um as well as like the live music world what i realized was i didn't want to be doing that when i was my age that i am now because it's it's a it's a youthful thing and it like, I'm sure, like, some photographers will shoot me down, and, and are you welcome to? Because, like, my opinion is not absolute. It's about mm. how I feel. I'm not sure. saying this is a rule. But I just didn't want to be the old guy with a camera taking photographs of perpetually young people. Like, there's, there's an awkwardness to that that I don't feel comfortable with. Um, uh, so, and, and you're right, like, and, and I don't mean, like, um, it's not just an age thing it's actually an energy thing like you know when i bring on new photographers through fanatic and um you know we we see young people coming through and you see how they photograph and that energy and it reminds me of like when i used to feel like that and i just don't i i, I don't i age is you know i have i have a seven-year-old kid i am divorced i've had to move out of london i like a bit of gardening now i love to cycle you know like I have I've evolved. I'm an older person, you know, like that, and, and I accept that, and I'm okay with that actually. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But part of that is is being able to let go and let other people have a go. And then, I think that makes that makes total sense. You know, why why would you, you know, as you change, why would you keep just 
pulling yourself towards the same subject all the time. You, c- you yeah. can't. And also, the reality of a live music, you know, photographer, festival work, events, whatever, is the money's not amazing. Um, like, it, you have to be really, really lucky to get a gig that is financially secure. Um, and I'm yet to figure that one out, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, so so you do naturally, it's it's a young person, when you've got less responsibilities and... and you don't give a fuck about whether whether it's two hundred quid or two grand. You're just going to go out and do the job. That's you know you need that. You need not to give a fuck. Um, and I have a lot less uh, fucks to give. I'm not sure. <laughs> You've got a lot more to give fucks about now. <laughs> yeah, I have. You know, like I actually love being at home with my kid, and I love being around. And that that world that I lived in, I wasn't. Um, and I actually made a decision. That's why I moved to Cornwall. I made a decision to be with my kid, um, um, the, and and I can't do that doing the other thing. You know, editorially speaking, I used to fly all over the place, and I'd do it for a few hundred quid, and I'd spend, you know, a good fifty percent of that on booze and food. Um, it's it's not sustainable, really, for in the long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. But it's really cool. I love. I actually love mentoring. And when when we get young photographers coming through Fanatic, and I see that energy and that buzz and that excitement, and they walk out into those fields and they're looking for those opportunities. I love seeing that, and I love like um, going through their edits and critiquing and developing those skills. It's something I actually really enjoy. Yeah, um, cool. But um, I, I, st- I, I, you know, I actually saw that coming and I could feel that energy was shifting in me from being wanting to walk around with a camera and photograph that stuff to actually the more like taking more of a back seat and, and actually what do I want to photograph? And then in, in twenty sixteen um I went off and did like my first ever big personal long term personal project. And that was a huge step forward for me in understanding who I was as a photographer. Because I, I suppose you know a lot of people like even you know like my be- one of my best mates Andrew Whitten who who um, started Fanatic with me back in the day, um, you know he had a classical photography education because when he was a kid that's what he wanted. You know when I was a kid I wanted to be an Iron Maiden. Um, you know meanwhile and Andrew was like you know shooting at school going doing an A level doing a degree going an assistant. And by the time we met, and we met at the end of me, mm. I'd been photographing, um, you know, for a paycheck for about six months, and he'd been wanting to do it his entire life and been working at it for a long time. And we came at it from such wildly different angles. Um, I forgot what my point is. What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> um, take taking more of a backseat. Oh yeah, yeah. So so my, uh, that, that's what it is. Yeah. So like. I was a proper rookie when I met Andrew and you know like it took me 10 years to figure out that I was a photographer like you know because I was just rolling from awesome thing to awesome thing and loving life and like having a really great time and I never really stopped to consider I am now a professional photographer like obviously I knew I was but like on a philosophical sense like it it wasn't ever anything that was on my radar so it was never something that I sat back and was like these are my goals. This is what I want to achieve. It was just something I was enjoying. Um, but by the time I realised that I was, you know, like 2016, I'd been in, I'd been a photographer for about 10 years in a paid sense. Um, and I was like, oh shit, you know what? I feel more of a photographer now than I ever did a musician. 
And that was a huge mental shift for me. Um, and I was like, well, what do I want to say as a photographer? Because my entire, the last 10 years have been taken up by me photographing for a paycheck and never once committed to making work for myself. And and also, you know, shooting live bands, like it's never about the, it's never about the photographer. It's totally, it's totally about who's in front of the absolutely, camera. Absolutely, yeah. In the, you know, I think, yeah, it is. And there's so much serendipity with music photography as well. Um, it's yeah you're right it's, it's not it's not really like about your voice it's I, I mean as a photographer it's about your voice technically speaking like technically yeah sure you know there's a style like oh you yeah. know a certain lens choice yeah or exactly you, want, you know but, but that's um, pe- 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 people are only looking at the picture because it's fucking iron Maiden yeah the majority the vast 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 99.9 percent of people are doing that absolutely um so i I all of a sudden was was kind of felt this self awakening. I was like, I have a desire to go and create. And um, so yeah, what, what what was that? What was that personal project? Well, I'd been on holiday in Scotland, and I'd, and I'd met this skipper of this boat, and he was telling me about the various little small isles on the Inner Hebrides. And um, one of them stood out stood out to me when he started talking about this Isle of Egg. And um, I went home from that holiday in 2015 in autumn, and I just sat on this. I don't know where it was. It just kept chipping away at my head like what is it about this place that that fascinates me and then one day I thought you know what I'm going to go find out and I um started planning what can I what can I do and I didn't want to just go on holiday and take a few photographs of lobster pots you know like I was like what what I, I spent some time asking myself you know what it was that I was feeling like how did how could I photograph that what what could I what is it that I want to say? And I guess, I don't know, like I, I, music had always been my a, a way that I found community in my life. I grew up in quite a rough place and there was always like, you know, we were even, you know, in many fights and literally beat unconscious just because we were in a band. Um, and that sense of looking for, for community through music and my bandmates, it did feel like us against the world because that's how it was at times. Yeah, yeah. And I, I lost that, and I was looking for that through photography, and that's why you know it's one of the reasons why Fanatic started. You know, as I always explain, like I, I didn't want to be constantly the lone gun, as it were. And um, now I was like, okay, beyond photography, what like what can I say with my photography? And I and I'd heard about this community. In it. Well, and like you were saying as well, how how have I grown and yeah. how have I changed? And uh, I'd heard about this community community on the Isle of Egg who were the first ever um, group of you know community to buy their land off a rogue laird, and not only that, that they were also the first place in the world to run exclusively off three renewable sources of energy, and they did this entirely, you know, by themselves, and and that fascinated me, and I was like, that community must be so tight and it must be so interesting and all these things just started whirring around in my head and I started to build the idea of doing a long-form study of all the people that live there mm. so I got in touch with the um oh, I did a bit of research found out they had a they had a trust and I got in touch with the chair of the trust uh, Maggie Fife and I spoke to her a few times and you know we together we hatched um a proposal and because she wanted to put it to the island they get a lot of people visit them. I didn't realize this at the time. I actually thought naively I was the intre- intrepid explorer going off to 
to you know uh, um, beyond the wall. Um, mm. And this was before you'd even been there. Yeah, yeah, this, this was before I'd been there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did, so so she she basically said, you know, I want to talk to the the island as a whole because I I I didn't want to turn up. I'm I'm quite a socialist, and I hate the idea of taking and not giving. And mm. uh, and the the you know for me there has to be a balance in that, and I couldn't, I could not just go and photograph. And because I felt like, I felt like if I was going to step into this community, it would be small and it would be tight and all those things that it was. And how would I achieve the the, the best possible work that was reflective of who I am and of the people that were photographing? The only way to do that was to be upfront and to to try and make it an opportunity where people knew that I was coming and that people were expecting me and that people wanted me there. Um, and because I was holding a mirror up to, to their community. And, I mean, you don't live on the Isle of Egg in the middle of, you know, um, the Inner Hebrides on the, in this tiny little island if you want to be in the limelight, you know? <laughs> no. So I realised that. And, you know, anyway, Maggie went off and they had a, a big, you know, they had a meeting about it. And most of the islanders came together and voted, and it, they were like, "Yeah, okay, let's see how it goes. Let's bring him on." So that was that was basically give me the green light. And a few months later, I set off, and I started a year-long project where I visited the island in summer, winter, spring, and then back in summer again. And um, and and the work I, I created over that year was kept entirely um, like secret. Like nobody, it wasn't on Instagram and it wasn't, um, you know, like obviously my wife and my agent and a couple of friends saw it, but um, nobody else saw it. No, no one on the island saw it. And then a year after I started the project, I did an exhibition on the island and it was exclusively for them. So like before I went, took it out into the world and went here, you know, like there's that, you know, like here's my ego. Look at this. I, I great. Look at these photographs I made. You know, I, I, I before, because of course you want to do that. That's why you make work. But before I did that, I wanted to give hand that gift to the community that allowed it in the first place. Yeah. Um. And so we set up an exhibition in the town hall, and it was just probably the greatest night of my entire life. To be honest with you, like I won a Um. You know, people came and I and I and people could take the prints at the end of the night. So it was so it was such a fleeting moment of, you know, here's something I've spent a year making. And everybody came down, and, you know, like I had people telling me that they, that this had reminded them why they lived there, and that and like there were tears of joy and laughter, and and um, I just I don't think that I'd been prepared, if I'm honest with you, for for what it was I was going to experience in all this, and I didn't realise that photography could be that powerful and that moving because I'd, I'd you know like in the world i'd grown up in it, it wasn't it photography wasn't that powerful that moving i mean certainly photography got me you know like got me into bands when i was 14 and whatnot but yeah to 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 you know bring about such emotion and such connection um I right, no yeah, definitely contra contrast to the to the you know working for NME where it's you know get the shot go to press next. Oh, week. I mean working for the NME where you know some security tries to headbutt you or yeah. you know like you you cheer, you're running running down your street for some muggers are trying to eat your camera bag at, in Camden at four in the morning. Like yeah, it's a stark contrast to that, um, mm. and it was beautiful and it was one of the most like I say one of the most rewarding things I've ever experienced. 
and that that um you know that project went on to that year to have two photographs featured in it in the Taylor Wesson Portrait Prize, um, which was again like a significant moment for me in my career. Um for a number of reasons. I then I'd entered that competition maybe six times prior to that and never, you know, never got through. So it was it was quite significant for me for that. But also it gave me a real understanding that competitions don't mean shit. Yeah. So so whilst I was like reveling in all this glory, I, I all of a sudden I started to realise what 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 was it that I was hoping to get out of of achieving that because it, it you know I think it reminded me um that the most important thing of all of that work was what those smiles and those tears and and the friendships that I built through its creation and, and not certainly not none of the accolades that followed. Sure, sure. Going back to the start of that project, you know, after they'd had their community meeting and decided that, yeah, this sounds like something that you know we want to let someone come on and uh, and, and make. You know, was that kind of almost more pressure once you arrived? You know, because there'd been this build up to it. You know, yeah. how, did you, how how did you go about kind of actually breaking into the community? <laughs> it, it, it's in, that's an interesting question because yeah, there was a lot more pressure because of it, but also um, it was you know like I'd never really done any planning before um, for a photography project, so I didn't really understand what to do. As as daft as that might sound. You know, like once I got the green light, I you know booked my accommodation. I drove up there, and I, you're not allowed to take a car on the island unless you live there or you have a permit. So I got a permit, and I all, arranged all that stuff. And I, you know, got off the ferry and went to my little B and B, which was on the far side of the island. Um, and a few things happened that day. Um, that day, the United Kingdom voted to leave Europe, um, and I got on a ferry to a small island with no. TV, no radio, no internet, no phone signal in my B&B. And I felt remarkably cut off. Like, obviously, I was I was obviously um, a, a Remainer. Um, I say obviously, I think most, almost every photographer I've ever met is a Remainer. Um, so there was, there was this sense of, like, being cut off from Europe. And I actually was devastated. And I'm sure you were, it was... Utterly devastated. I mean, that, I that, 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 that day, I think, uh, I mean, it's like what, four, four years ago now. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, it, it was like an earthquake had struck. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I had no one to share that with who I, I knew and loved, who I could talk and grieve with. Mm. Um, so, I went, you know, sat, I remember sat in my B&B, which was, you know, tiny little house on the far side of the island, like I said, where there's no phone signal or, and I, Oh, like that, and I had no connection to the outside world, and I was kind of like in in at that point just incredibly isolated and lonely. And I, I did I didn't I didn't even consider when once I got to the island what would I do, mm. and and um until I got there, and then coupled that with what had happened that day, it was just like wow, like I actually have no idea what I'm going to do now. I just feel I don't feel myself. I feel quite lost and. I've got no one to talk to, and I don't know where I am. Mm. It's it was mental. So, um, I sat there for a few hours, like looking out the window, going, "Being, being, honest to God, being scared." I yeah, was so I nervous, so bloody nervous. And I thought, well, do you know what? I'll go talk to Maggie, who I'd spoke to on email, and I went and found where she lived, and I went and spoke to her, and I was telling her how I felt, and she said, "Look, just 
there's there's one pub on the island. It's not really a pub. It's a cafe. And it's called Tea Rooms. And it was a really sunny day. And she was like, you know, get yourself down to Tea Room. Everybody who likes to socialise will be there because it's a Friday and it's 3pm and it's sunny as hell. Mm. So just get yourself down there. So um, I, I was like, yeah, you know what? I will, I will. I'll go down. And, and um, I, she walked me to my car and she was called Maggie Fife. And she goes, oh, and look out for, she goes, on the island people call me Big Maggie. And that's because there's a little Maggie. Okay. So you look out for her. She'll welcome you to the island. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so anyway, I set off down to the tea room and she were right. Like there were maybe 30 or 40 people all, all outside. And you knew the word. How, how many people live on the island in total? Um, at that time, there was about ninety-five. Okay, so a third of the population. Yeah, um, and so and and you knew the word tourists because they do get a lot of tourists there. But you knew these guys weren't tourists because everybody had like wellies on and nobody was wearing North Face. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um. And I was like, right, okay, she's right. Everybody's here. They're all sat on picnic tables, all drinking. It was quite merry and whatnot. I was like, okay, fucking all right. How do I do this? How do I do this? So I went into the cafe and I got a drink. And I, well, I stood at the queuing for a drink and there was a tap on my shoulder. And I looked across and I was like, oh, there's a little lass stood there. And she, she was like, do you want a sweep? And, and I could see on the packet it was like extreme sour gobstoppers or something. And and I could tell she was being mischievous. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll have a sweet. So I took one and I was like pretending and playing up going, oh my God, what are these? And she was like belly laughing on the floor. And I, and I said to her, I just had this thought. I was like, you're not little Maggie by any chance, are you? And she's like, yeah, who told you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I was like, big Maggie. Because actually what big Maggie said was, look out for little Maggie. She's a force of nature. Right. And when, it, when that happened, I was like that has to be little maggie because she was such a like reveling in 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 this like uh, pain that i was in with the sweet yeah, as if on and cue then, here comes little maggie yeah it, do you know and it felt like a movie it, it it genuinely did like everything every aspect about being there so for that entire because i was on this tiny little fucking island for two weeks and and i did that on purpose because i wanted to make sure that i got to know everybody and i didn't know how that was going to work out and this was my first experience and it felt like it genuinely felt like a scene out of a film. So I was like, "That just that shit just didn't happen. That's wild." So anyway, I thought that gave me like this boost of confidence. I was like, "Right, okay." So I got my can of beer and I went outside, and there was like six, seven picnic tables, all rammed, all people just chatting and blah, blah blah. I thought, "Why not kill all these stones, birds with one stone?" So I was like. <clears throat> Excuse me, everybody. My name is Danny. I'm a photographer. Maggie Fife told me she'd been in contact with you all about me coming and doing this project. So I just thought, whilst I have this opportunity, I'll say hello to everybody. And yeah, come and have a word if you want. And I, and I finished expecting, welcome! <laughs> it's like crickets. Oh, man. Like tumbleweed. It's like the slaughtered lamb off uh, American Wolf in London. Yeah. Like, a couple of giggles, and then all of a sudden, everybody just turned back to the, what they were doing before, burst out laughing, and I was sitting there with a fucking can of beer going, oh my God, have I just shot myself in foot? And then there's this one fella who who was looking at me like he might look at a wounded puppy in an <laughs> adoption centre, 
Like, oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> oh, <man>. Daft, <laughs> stupid, poor bastard. And he had that, like, sorrowful look in his eyes. And um, he beckoned me over. So I was like, oh, thank God for that. So I went over to him. And um, we started chatting. And it, and, um, it, it turned out to be we Maggie's um, dad. Yeah. And um, he took me under his wing. And that was that was actually, like, a very rewarding friendship, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, I love him to bits. And I'll never forget how his his um empathy for my situation was was part of my journey on that island to be honest with you mm. that opened that opened the door that that day i i arrived at the tea room at three in the afternoon and i left at three in the morning mm. and um by the time i'd left i'd you know been bought drinks by and bought drinks for probably everybody that had been around those tables initially and um and I didn't pick my camera up for for another four days. I I decided that I would just get to know everybody first as much as I could, and um, in varying aspects of the community, not just in the pub, but like I know that there's there's this guy there who's doing like wild foraging, and and I realised that maybe there was there's a demographic of the island who are more likely to go wild foraging than drink whiskey till three in the morning. Mm. So I went and hung out with those guys, and um, and I went. Initially, just to explain my intentions as I went along, um, and then by the time I felt people trusted me, that's when I started getting my camera out, and that took about four or five days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking like there, there, there surely is no easy way to break into that. You know, you could have gone quietly up to every table and said, "Oh, hey guys, you know what are you talking about?" You know, they, 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 like it almost seems like that's 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 a pretty good way to go about it. Just like right all at once, you know, let's let's yeah. break the ice. I mean, it, it, I felt so small, and I, I think back ab- about it, and I do laugh about it. But I guess so. I mean, um, but it, it was one of those things where you you can feel the idea forming, and you have no idea how it got from the idea forming to out of your mouth in under a second. Yeah. And you're like, "What am I doing? Oh my god, I'm actually doing this! Fucking hell! Oh my god!" And then before you know it, like you're out of the frying pan and in the fire. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. I guess my gut reaction made me do that. And I'm, yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm I, in hindsight absolutely glad that I did. Um, it was a hell of a fun day to be honest with you. Because I guess because of that, people just maybe thought, "What an absolute tool." So I think you know, like I, you know, whilst I was there, there were in the in that first two weeks, there was probably another four photographers that came and a TV crew, okay. and it was relentless. And because um, a lot of those photographers are academic, uh, because because of this first place in the world to re- to live off exclusively of three renewable sources of energy, like they are subject to a lot of academic um, like reviews and whatnot. Mm-hmm. People want to learn from them and want to like you know PhD students or even regular you know school of art students know about it, and they'll from Glasgow and they'll come up and. You know, and it's relentless. They get so many people visiting them and wanting to talk about it. Um, but most of those people skulk around the, the fringes of the community, mm. and they come for three days and then they disappear. Um, you know, me going there and presenting myself in such a manner and telling them that I was there for two weeks and I won't go in anywhere. Yeah, and yeah, actually, yeah. I don't even have a camera on me. Let's just have a beer and a chat and get to know each other. It, it, the, the doors of that community were flung open, and and um. 
that that first night I had one angry encounter, and uh, I, I I don't like to say what it is it, on an on an individual level. I like to keep my conversations and what I experience on an individual level mm. private because I don't think that it's fair to share those things. But um, one angry person cornered me um, and vehemently um, told me not to um, not to take the piss out of them and not to embarrass them and not to um, be an asshole essentially. Okay. And 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 um, and it was you know like I was told in no uncircumcised you know terms like don't fuck us over. Mm. And then on the, the the second to last day that I was there on that particular occasion. That same person put their arm around me and told me that I was one of them, mm. and that I was I was an you know an islander, and and I, even now I get a rush of endorphins thinking about that. I can feel that surge through me now because I'd gone there wanting you know I hate to say it, it sounds like such a cute cliche, but like I was looking for for well, meaning some, in my own life, some sort of belonging, I guess you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like at that time, I'm going through divorce. I had, you know, like discovered that I was a photographer all of a sudden. And, you know, I don't know, there was a lot of transitions in my life and I wanted somewhere to feel like I had like a home. You know, I'd, I'd moved to London and I wasn't enjoying it. And I've, I did feel quite isolated. And, um, yeah, it was it was remarkable. I felt like I found home. Yeah. It was such, it, you know, it was very powerful. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so, so that was the course of a year, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went back in. Um, I went back in winter, and then like back in spring, and then back in summer. Um, and I, I, I didn't want to. It, it's. I, I learned a lot of things from that actually. Um, I learned that familiarity over time does not build good work. Yeah. Like what, what every, every almost I'd say ninety five percent of the work that I created over those periods was the best work was in those first two weeks. Okay. Um, and all my subsequent visits, um, you know, if I'd not gone, you wouldn't have noticed the quality overall. It, it was quite interesting. And I think... What do you um, think What do you think that was? Do you think it was as you kind of like started to uh, have more of an idea of what it was you were shooting or, you know, like you started to kind of gravitate towards certain things or... I th- yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to put my finger on because I think that, um, you know, if, I don't know if you've ever read the book um, How to Be a Photographer with David Ern. Um, I haven't, no. The, the Magnum Photographer. You can get it online for free as a PDF. Mm. It's it's absolutely fascinating. It, Bill Hearn, who's a Magnum Photographer, and Bill J. David Hearn, sorry, and Bill J. Um, and, and the whole book is a conversation. And it's literally, that it is literally a conversation. And it's like how to become a photographer. Like, what what are the parameters of what make a photographer? Um, and part of the, the one of the things they talk about a lot is um, define like what are the what's the definition of what a good personal project should be? Not like in subject matter, but actually like like location availability. Like, how well do you know your subject? And th- th- these things, it's it's absolutely fascinating read. And um, you know, they discuss like availability is so important to personal work that you're able to chip away and you're able to develop it and you can revisit it and revisit it and revisit it. You know, they're talking like not not a year, even you know, like five years, ten years, like develop that story. And I I get that. And I and I think that if 
if discovery isn't part of that, if study is part of that, then I think that works. But when you're, for me, you know, I was doing this almost like a photographic census, which is quite a crude way of describing it, but it is kind of like that of the island. You know, now it exists as an archive in their history records. Mm. So it, it really was in some senses that, that um, but for me, I was looking for that sense of discovery and like that, um, maybe even the awkwardness between not knowing people and me and discovering um, like who these personalities are and, and all this. I don't know. That had an energy mm. that by the time I'd gone back the second time and I knew everybody and everybody was familiar and I was like, come over for dinner and hey, have a drink. And like, it felt more like a holiday and a social than it did a photography project. Mm. And that's not to say what I, I wasn't photographing. I certainly was, but it just didn't have the same energy as the first time I went. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I was, I was chatting to, funnily enough, another music photographer uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was he was saying how no matter what it is you're shooting, view it as work. You know, yeah. like view it, view it as work, and and otherwise it's got no destination if it's not if you don't kind of see it as you know I'm doing work. And I, I just I'm just thinking, you know, like standing up and. Um, kind of announcing your arrival at the beginning you know it's kind of a right I'm the outsider and I'm here to do so I'm, I'm here to do a project you yeah. know like and I think there's almost um, you know maybe in what you're saying some hindsight to that is like yeah it was probably a good thing you did that yeah there's, there's intention right so there's intention in your actions mm. and and um, it's defined it, it the you know it has purposes um there's momentum and I think all those things create an energy um it's interesting because like you know who, 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 you know what you just said about you know treat as work I think that that I agree with it and disagree with that as a statement because I think that if you are if photography is in your blood then everything that you do you know when I photograph my, my daughter I photograph her with the inseparable eye that I have and when I shoot band portraits yeah. of you know whoever um, like the, there is no difference to my thought process to my composition to my wanting to get the moment to my wanting to achieve a, 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 a predefined notion of what I think is a good photograph in this instance yeah like that doesn't change with my daughter or my fucking dog like mm -hmm. um, so I get that idea of treat it as work because I think that that in itself should be um, that should be inseparable from you as a photographer but then at the same time the idea of treating it as work to me is doesn't sound like um, doesn't sound like you allow yourself room to discover yeah. and to develop and yeah, yeah, yeah. to you know, I, th I suppose maybe what, 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 how you could interpret it that is that you should, everything you, you know, that you photograph, don't drop the ball. Even if you're having fun with it, like always try and be on top of, of what it is that you're doing. And I get that mm. totally. Um, but, you know, the, 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 like I said, this, by the second, third time I've gone there, I knew everybody. And, um, and the energies have changed, and uh, yeah, I guess it, it was just a different thing. And the 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 photographs became 
tamer, mm-hmm. less bold. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so so when, that, when you began to bring all the project together, did you find yourself collecting the images from the first trip? You know, were the, were the, were the later trips kind of less significant to the final project? Very much so. I mean, the, there, there was... Um, I feel like the project had several audiences and the photographs were were brought together um in separate you know like groups for those audiences so for the island you know my ego about what defined a good photograph went out the window and actually what i did was like whether or not i thought you know person x was just nothing more than say a snap Mm. a snapshot versus something else which i found much more profound everything was included and because when when the the most important thing for me for that exhibition was that when people came and uh only to my knowledge it was only about maybe two or three four people that didn't come to the exhibition on the island um and those people weren't in any of the pictures okay um and so everybody that came had a photograph of themselves and that so so i was able to remove my ego from the from that from that exhibition and say regardless of what i i feel here are those photographs but then for my own website i i wanted to develop a different narrative to that i wanted to create a, a selection of photographs that reflects the, the the energy that i felt when i first went there mm-hmm. So there are so there's you know it's a fraction of the project, and I, maybe I, maybe I, you know when you look at it, I do often think, Christ, am I being harsh? I've got a, I printed a book somewhere, um, so I had a collection of all of the photographs uh, accessible, um, and that's what the island has as well. And when I look at that, I, I think that actually maybe it's just interesting because I did it, and I and and I look back and I have memories attached to it. So for my website, you know, it's like. It's such a slim selection. Sure, sure. But that's that's a yeah. So, sorry, finish, finish, finish your thought. Well, I was saying that's that's. I think you know, self-editing and being able to create, tell a story um, narratively just through images, is is the most important thing on a website. Not because no one has got that much interest in your work as much as you. Yeah. So you have to control that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did uh, did that project coincide with your gravitation towards shooting on film as well? Um, yes, yeah. I think um, it. So I actually started shooting on film quite a long time ago. Um, I I say quite a long time ago. I mean, relatively speaking, in in my career, mm. um, and I I think in two thousand nine, I got a commission. Um, to shoot an album cover for um, an XL recording artist, um, and yeah, and basically they they said to me, "Oh, we want it to be on film. Like, is that something that you shoot?" And I and I was like, "Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, absolutely." And um, I never owned film camera. Well, I did, but when I was younger, you know, yeah, yeah. like so, I was like, "Okay, fuck, I have to go out and buy one and." Uh, figure this whole thing out so I did and it was you know it, it wasn't an, an entirely a disaster but I I knew so little and I actually think that in film photography there's there's not that much to know but if you don't know it you're gonna fuck up 
like and and I didn't know it and um and I did you know like everything was underexposed um and I, I remember when I say everything I think like the vast vast majority of what I shot was underexposed um and it was a bit of a disaster um I also did like, you get what uh, you needed out of it for that for that shoot uh yeah yeah in a nutshell yeah I did I ended up um. I got some really cool Polaroids of this landscape that was shot as B-roll whilst we were out there doing other photographs, and that ended up being the album cover, and it looked awesome and it was okay. lovely. So yeah, I did, I did, but um, but it learnt me a lot, and actually, it scared the shit out of me. So that was two thousand nine, and I put I put it away. I was like, you know what, I don't like this film shit. I can't, I don't understand it. And then um, in twenty fourteen, um, I was doing a Kaiser Chief shoot. Well, actually, I'd done a Kaiser Chief shoot in twenty thirteen on film. And, I, and I'd experienced the same situation as I had all those years ago, and that my my all everything was underexposed, and I was uh, and I was so frustrated with it that I ended up buying um was a photographer who does like film workshops, and it, he he was like one of the big shots like Zacharias and all that back in mm-hmm. back in that period. It's called Jonathan Canales, I think his name is, okay. and um and he had like a film book like. And he shoots weddings on film. And I always thought, well, if anyone's going to know about film and getting it right, it's somebody who shoots fucking weddings on film. Right, yeah, yeah. So I bought his ebook and I was like, what am I doing wrong? And actually, I learned everything in one paragraph that I'd been doing wrong. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I, I, despite spending hundreds of pounds on, on messing up, it never dawned on me, like, to treat film in the opposite way to what I was doing. It. You know, I was like underexposing it instead. I learned that actually you can overexpose portrait until cows come home and it barely makes a difference. But if you underexpose it, you are fucked. And that's, you know, in a nutshell, that's what I learned. And I was like, right, okay. So um, all, all of a sudden my exposures were great. And um, and I, I, in 2014, I got asked to do this um, shoot with the Kaisers again. And I thought, you know what, I'll do something big different. They want a digital. But I, I hired um, a sign RP two. Oh, nice. I was like, let's do let's do some large format. And I and I one of the photographs I got out of that I absolutely adore. Yeah. And that was that was the moment where I stepped over the line and went, I'm going to shoot film so much more. Um, so I got out the old RZ which I'd had in a cupboard for five years. I was like, right, okay, here we go. And that and then. By 2016, when I did As I Found It, you know, I shot As I Found It. Well, As I Found It is the project's title for um, the, the album yeah, project that I did. Yeah. Um, when I shot As I Found It, I shot it entirely on film. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, not without its problems. Um, certainly, you know, part of that part of that journey, I, I learned significantly um, some errors that I've made and whatnot. But um, I'd, by that point, I was shooting commercial work on film. And, like, I'd, I'd embraced it. In every aspect of what I did, I'm now I've now kind of swung like back into somewhere in the middle because I was so film like you know I had I had a Deodorf 10.8, mm-hmm. I have a, a, a Master Technica 5.4, two RZs, five EOS one ends, mm-hmm. an FM you know I, I could go on and literally I could go on and on and on. I became like that guy. Yeah, and I, then has, hashtag then, film is not dead. Oh man, I, I hashtag to sh- that to shit. <laughs> I, I I had all them hashtags. Yeah. Film is not dead. Like keep film alive, shoot film, stay broke. All those yeah. hashtags. Man. I I I embraced it. You know, and, and 
there came a point um, on my journey. Actually, the deer dorf taught me a lot of what I don't like about shooting film, mm. um, and 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 I think you know part of that was actually attaching some sort of um, ownership to shooting film made me made me somehow better, mm. and and and. Um, that is entirely bullshit, of course. Well, um, maybe, maybe it goes along with this idea that it's 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 more authentic, you know, like yeah, oh, this no, makes no, me more authentic as a photographer. Absolutely, absolutely, and actually, that that seed came back from when I did the XL shoot in two thousand nine because what I learned back then was that our oh, record labels, like the guys that they want to hire, all shoot on film. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I, I I'm trying to remember names now who I researched fucking hell, it's a long time ago. But um, who was that? There was a photographer who did a magazine called Loose Lips. Oh, well, that, that that that's who I was chatting to recently, Steve Gullick. Steve Gullick, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that that, he, that 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 was who was saying that you know view everything as work. Yeah. So like that's who I was looking at, going, oh shit, Steve Gullick was yeah. doing portraits of everybody. So yeah. He shoots on film, and, and then of course you know you have people like Corbin and whatnot. Uh, and Anton Corbin, not Jeremy, yeah. um, who was shooting on film, and you're like, right, okay, um, that's what I have to do that to be taken as serious as an artist. So that you know, all those years later, when I was hashtagging my photographs to fuck, like that's me telling the world I shoot on film. Mm-hmm. And don't you confuse that? Mm-hmm. Don't you confuse that? This is a digital photograph. Hashtag yeah. RZ67. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which which I I did actually figure that out on on my own terms. At some point, I was like. I asked myself, I was like, why am I hashtagging RZ67? Like, what what am I saying? That this photograph's not good enough to exist in the world without letting everybody know where I shot it on. Uh, is, is that true? Is it true? Well, to be honest, I mean, I, 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 I think there is, I think you're, you're touching well, on something there. I mean, no, I, no, I, absolutely. I, I do it the other way around, you know. I'm, I'm like, digital medium format. It's not fucking yeah. film, it's fucking digital, you know? Yeah. And, but what, what I asked myself then was, like, if I think that this photograph's only good enough if everybody knows it's on film, then I'm not producing work that's good enough. So I stopped hashtagging my photographs with, like, I mean, obviously you can do that to get your work out to a wider audience, mm-hmm. but in terms of like film is not dead, are there 67, my mirror this, my mirror that, yeah. like 35 mil, like whatever. Yeah. It, do, it, it actually doesn't matter. And what really hit that hammer home was when I, I after, as I found her finished and I wanted something else to work on and I coming from, a working class background, I only had uh, four GCSEs and I cheated on one of them, so technically <laughs> only three GCSEs. Um, I, I thought, you know what, I've, I'm going to educate myself. First person in my family to go to university, and I was, you know, I was 40, um, 42 when, okay. I, when I did that. Um, awesome. And while, whilst I was there, you know, like, well, it's, it was online, it was, I did a master's, mm-hmm. you know, I went from, you know, like, you know, written reality, three GCSECs. To a master's, and I'm really proud of that. And I, you know, paid for it through my own hard work in photography. Um, but what I realised whilst I was there was the film photography snobbery is actually also an academic problem, mm. and that like it's kind of I, I said this recently on Twitter because um, I was I was I saw somebody did a really great video meme about film photography, and um, and I was like, oh, the canonization of photography. Um, is is absolutely has its roots in academia because you know I was I'm in a class with a with a teacher who's a PhD doctor who's telling the class 
without any, just anecdotally, that photo- that film photography is just better, mm. and that it's and it's more masterful. And I and I was sat there going, I don't think that in that particular room there was anybody with as much experience on film as what I had because I was obsessed by it and I'd shot every format over those years, you know, under commercial situations within that small group of people. I'm not saying I know my shit worldwide. No, so no, I really no, don't. no. But I'm saying, I was just reflecting, I was like, right, okay, I think this validates me to have an opinion. You know, and I tried to have this discussion with the teacher, and it, I was just shut down. Mm. Like, I don't, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't think film's the best, you don't really know, do you? Yeah, I was yeah. like, what? I've always like, just thought, you know, it's just like, how far do you want to go back? You know what I mean? Like, surely, surely you should be doing, like, etchings or something. You know, <laughs> if it's all about authenticity, then, you know, get your paintbrush out. Or... But also, like, you know, what? I, when, once you understand... Like, once you lose your fear of exposing Porsche 400 correctly, mm. what you realise is, like, on a day like today where it's beautifully sunny, right? Well, I was, I was just I about to walk... say, it's just started shining it down with rain here. So, uh, yeah, clearly, okay. clearly there's a difference. I can walk outside there and I can expose all day long without a light meter. Yeah. And I can pop off shots and I know that every shot's going to be exposed beautifully. Like, I don't even need to take a light meter out if I'm shooting film. Mm. Like, because once you know... Like it, how it works, it, it's fine. Like I actually think that um, to make something digital look good takes far more skill than shoot making something look good on film because you can look. You know, I, I saw there's a new Instagram account popped up on my phone. I was like, oh, you know, my gut reaction was this is really pretty, and I was looking at it and it was like 35 mil, and it was like you know like end of roll stuff, like you know where you get that yeah, orange yeah, yeah, white yeah. hair and things like that, and I was like, you know. It is just the artifacts and like it's not accomplished photography I'm looking at. And that's okay as well, by the way. That's okay as well. We are only talking about whether or not um like the the the, the pseudo you know, pseudo intelligent. Well yeah, do, does it does it have more meaning because better. it because it's on a piece of film? No. Nah, yeah. You know, um so I, uh, right now, you know, I'm back at um and actually shot I shot last bit of film I shot was for a commercial job, which was back in uh, November. But actually, I got last year. I got um, a Fuji uh, GFX fifty, mm-hmm. and I, and I and I and I love it. And actually, you know what? I was even I was even snobby about sensor size until recently. I had to do a gig where um, I ended up using for video. I ended up using a, a Fuji XT three. Mm-hmm. You know, which I'm sure most of your listeners will know. That's an APC size sensor, mm-hmm. and I have been nothing but full frame and medium format. You know, since the D three came out, yeah. um, and all of a sudden I was like shooting on this XTT, going, "These photographs look fucking incredible, mm-hmm. like absolutely incredible." I've been such a snob, even digitally. Um, I don't know if snob's the right word. Maybe just I'm misled. No, I think I think it's easy to kind of get tribal about it. You know, like uh, yeah, I, I, big, I, I, yeah. Again, I've kind of um, I don't know why, but yeah, I've, I've I mean, I've always been a digital kid, and um, I think just because like. The film crowd were were getting all like protective about theirs. It was just like, oh, well, you know what? Fuck film. Like digital is the way to go. And I, I don't know. I think it's easy to get kind of um, yeah tribal oh, about it. Yeah, yeah. It, it can. But I get so frustrated at um, like, and you know, this is coming from somebody who still has a massive passion for film photography. I absolutely adore it, and I still have the you know the vast majority of cameras that I've picked up over the years, and I still use them. I never own anything. If it sits on shelf, I'm not sentimental. It mm. goes on eBay. Like. Mm. If I'm using it, then fine. I, I don't have the luxury and financial stability to be able to have an archive of cameras um, that I don't use. Um, 
but what what really like you know i can i can show you how shit film photography is i can actually show you like examples of like the emperor's new clothes and i think large format um photography uh, uh, for me was like a, a nail in the coffin that like i was just like oh my god i can't put up with the emperor's new clothes anymore so i was looking at uh upper rising stars of photography using large format and i was like everything that i've seen like and and actually you know i bought into emperor's new clothes i went and got a fucking deodor yeah. a 1937 deodor and you know like i wanted i was that, that person who thought it well you know i've I've, I've, only, I've got to keep going to bigger and bigger because that's the way I've, I've been heading over these years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything that I photographed was dull as ditch water. Like, like I think um, over the course of 12 months of using the Deardorff and, and actually using it extensively, like, I, you know, I had, you know, I was using it a lot for the MA that I was studying. Um, I just produced endlessly boring work unimaginative portraits and and then uh, then all of a sudden i stood back and looked at the people who were my peers um in 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 large format photography um and i'm looking around at those guys and i'm like oh my god everybody's producing boring work like the, none of this is imaginative or interesting or even like even remotely like fun mm. um well, it's I'm like like, gonna, like like the object. I'm probably going to get shot down. Well, no, I, 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 I think you're oh, right. It's like letting like the object get in the way of the craft. Well, okay, you know, I'm talking about me, and and that is exactly what happened. It, it took me a year to realise, and actually, you know, um, we um, we got invited to do um, film photography for one of our festival clients, a wilderness festival, and. We've done it. We've done it twice for those guys now. And on the first year, I had the deer dog and I took it with me. Mm. And I said I would I'd shoot five frames because you know shit's so expensive. Um, and it it was a disaster. I had light leaks, and mm. I, you know, I'd, I'd spend like an hour setting a, a photograph, and mm. and um, and our desperation of not and I was being too picky because of, because of the process and because of the cost. I was like, oh well. You know, I, I'll, I'll choose the right moment, and then the right moment never came, and then ended up forcing the moment. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's just, oh my god, talk about putting an object before creativity. Mm. It, you know, like it, it was, it was exactly that, and nothing. I that for me was like the end of it. I've gone, wow, I have to, and I wrote a massive, um, a massive uh, like assignment um, piece, like uh, three or four thousand words. Kind of dissecting what it was that I felt about it, mm-hmm. and yeah, I realized actually I, I want to be a master of this medium, but the truth is, it's it, it's just not you know working for me because the camera is mastering me, yeah, yeah. and I, and I, and like it, it, it defines what I shoot mm-hmm. and how I shoot, and I start looking at other people, and I think it's very rare that you can find a large large format photographer where the apparatus does not define what they shoot. Now, there are people, because Alex So, for example, mm. like, you know, he was one of my massive inspirations for wanting to get my hands on that camera. And I adore his work. But I think he's a magician. Mm. Because, like, you know, and I watched that. Did you, have you seen that Alex Soth documentary? 
Uh, there, there's a couple. I've, I've watched. Um, is, there's one available to like buy off his website or something. Right. I don't know if I've watched um, watched anything longer than a couple of little interviews. Um, it's uh, fascinating. I'm trying to find the name of it. What it's mm. called. But I agree, um, he, he is brilliant. Somewhere to disappear. Okay, um, I'll check it out. Like I, wa- I've watched that about five times because because I wanted, I couldn't. It was. I felt like I was watching David Blaine because I was like, okay, he, the apparatus means nothing to him. Mm. Like he uses it because obviously it, it's you know aesthetically what he was achieving is what I wanted to achieve. Like it's a negative that is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But but for him the apparatus just existed and it and it, it and I could not make it just exist it it, it well, I wrestled with it you know mm. um, and I feel like I see that um, in a, in a lot of people's work that they whether or not they're willing to accept it because it took me a, a lot of arm truths to be like no put it down mm. move on because mm. your work has got absolutely got more boring since you picked this camera up yeah interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think in, I think in the example of um, of Alex, you know, it's like his his projects are so contemplative that it absolutely makes sense to work on the on the slowest format possible. Yeah, yeah, and 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 when when you watch that somewhere to disappear, and I think what you um, what you see in there is that, like when I went to when I went and did as I found it, and I didn't pick up a camera for four days, he he's able to experience all those things that i put into four days into like his his interactions but still take photographs mm. uh, and do it on a large format camera and i think that's what makes him quite a special photographer actually mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah yeah that's um yeah yeah that is i, I think um, i think there's definitely something in that um mm. okay so to to, to kind of take it in some way full circle um i want i want to hear about your your metal project that you're working on Oh right, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, was working on because was working on, yeah, yeah. Uh, the world has has, yeah. um, has changed somewhat recently. Yeah, um, we're on a bit of a hiatus, but um, but yeah, yeah. What's the, what, what's the what's the the the, the idea behind that, and, and where do you want to take it? Well, okay. As we discussed previously about community and whatnot, um, this is—I should say—this is this is coming from a question coming from a, a lifelong metalhead, uh, hence the interest. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, same here, bud. Same here. Um, I I grew up with a bone disease, and mm-hmm. um, by the time I was twenty nine, I'd had uh, like twenty five or so operations, including the complete uh, knee replacement operation. Um, and, you know, which I obviously I still have. Um, and um, through that period of my life, it was like, I am a lot better now, but that point in my life, actually, it's, uh, I was registered disabled and I was living in arthritic pain 24 hours a day. I woke up in pain, I went to bed in pain mm-hmm. and, I, and I didn't fight. I didn't have a manageable way to deal with that because the only, the only choice I actually had reached was opiates. So I was living in constant pain, and it was it was a really difficult time in my life. And what reflecting on that, um, what um, empowered me, and what got me through, and what made me um, want to get up every day was music and um, and heavy metal. Mm. And um, like I, I, and you know, I found that 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 music. Uh, 
you know, empowered me. And I think that after I did as I found her and, I, and during the course of my MA, I was asking myself, you know, developing ideas about communities. And um, it was actually my wife that pointed out to me, because she's also a photographer, mm-hmm. um, that, because um, we worked at Download Festival quite a lot with, with Fanatic, and right. she, she suggested to me, she was like, have you ever thought about looking a bit closer to home? to your community mm. and I and it never dawned on me actually like I'm I'm quite guilty of often of um like not seeing wood for trees you know mm. and as soon as Jenna had said that to me I looked around and I was like oh my god like of course like this makes perfect sense I had so my it, all along yeah I mean like it, it it just it leapt out of me I was like holy shit like I'd love to do a document of um like the idea at the moment is still developing really because like it, it, it developed and changed over the course of doing it. But the idea was to create a document of community of um, of heavy metal fans at Download Festival, but through the eyes of disability. Mm-hmm. And that's that's because, um, you know, like growing up with, with a disability, like I found, well, like as I explained that, that music was a safe harbor for me. It empowered me. And I think that that's a really powerful story to tell. And actually um, being able to tell that that story of this, you know, and I, I'm going there and talking to people um, about their experiences as a metal fan, you know, like some of them were just as perfectly normal as me and you. Like, you know, there's, there's some people didn't want their disability to be a part of their narrative. But but for other, for other people, it's just, it is because actually... Like me, you know, when I was in pain all the fucking time, metal literally saved my life. It stopped mm-hmm. me. I don't know. So I just wanted to, to figure that voice out and, and whatnot. So I went to download with the blessing of Andy Coppin and, and the download team. I went there and um, started working on a project. Um, and I wanted it to be like uh, as much um, uh, like a collaboration um, but of words and photography, it had to be like their voice and my pictures, you know, like what. And um, so we did that. But what I initially wanted was actually, so the project, like I said, it's developing and it's really not that well defined because it kind of fell in on me. Because what, what I imagined was I'd take the photographs at the festival, but then to make to make the project more uh, more individualistic rather than a generic festival background, I would visit each person that I photographed at the festival at home. Okay. And we would have the juxtaposition of the, the festival person and the home life. And, and I tried to, and I photographed like um, 15 uh, people at download that weekend. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but every single person I was with for two, three hours, like right. without exaggeration, because, you know, like you go up to somebody and you go, right, okay, you've got a disability. Can I photograph you? Yeah. You know, like, what you know that is a very fucking hard conversation to have sure so like i have to go in there and be like this is why i'm doing it i grew up with this disability this is how you know metal um defined who i am as a person and actually saved my life because i was you know when you're in that much pain i was very depressed and like you know like it was a it was genuinely a really important aspect of my life and i had to explain that to everybody you know and i didn't take and and then like I, like I did on Egg, I didn't want to just be gone. Like, mm-hmm. oh, thanks, thanks for letting me exploit your image. Now I'm off. You know, it was it was actually every every chat was. Well, yeah, it's um, as much about your story as it is is theirs. 
Well, only so that they understood yeah. that I'm not objectifying them. Mm. Um, you know, like that was uh, because I, yeah. I think you know I fear I think about that quite a lot within photography, personal work, photography projects. Is that is a lot of objectification um, of of different um, aspects of of lesser seen aspects of our lives. You know, mm. and I didn't want I didn't want to be doing that. So to get that across, you know, there's a lot of uh, preamble and discussion and you know explaining what what am i doing with the project why am i doing the project what's going to happen with the project what would i like to achieve and then then that discussion is what can we achieve in this situation mm. you know it was it was really ad slog so i shot 15 people and um and almost everybody dropped out of the second part of the shoot right and i found that so incredibly disheartening including like Driving up from London to Barnsley to to meet this guy who seemed mega mega keen in emails and on the phone and like on and when I met him in real life at the download and then got to his house and he wouldn't answer his door. Oh man! And I could hear his. I was ringing his phone and I could hear his phone pinging inside. And I was like, okay, so you're there. So in the end, you know, I I, mean, I wasn't angry or anything. I was just like sad that we never got to make the work. Mm. because nobody knows what it's like to live with a disability unless you're that person. And mm. and I, I, what I learned from that was clearly like in the, in the, that, you know, in the festival world, like everybody, you're happy and you're open to opportunities and you're having a laugh and you've probably even had a few drinks and you're willing to like, you know, go along with, with things that you might not do at home. And clearly that invasion of privacy that the next part of the project was, just didn't didn't come off you know and I ended up photographing uh of all those people and being stood up I actually ended up photographing two okay and and there weren't and what I produced wasn't even that good mm. I'll be honest with you so what so what I was left with was like what I shot in the first instance and 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 actually I think some of the work was really really quite uh, moving but I found it quite difficult. Um, I mean, obviously, one of the photographs got into um, the portrait of Britain, mm. and which is probably obviously how you know about it. Um, but I'm not massively like uh, happy with the work, but I'm struggling with 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 it because I wanted it to say more than just a portrait, you know. Mm. Um, and at the moment, it doesn't. It doesn't. So I've got to figure out a way. And obviously, like this year, I was hoping to go back. Uh, last year, I couldn't because I ended up having to work. On, um, in fact, it was the Kaiser Chiefs do that at Ellen Road. I got asked permission to do that on the same week as download, and I needed the cash. I couldn't okay. say no to that, yeah. um, so I went off and did that. So this year, I was hoping to go back to download, and obviously we can't. So the the, the project is furloughed now until twenty twenty one. Yeah, maybe, but but it also gives me an opportunity now to re reflect on like, okay, well, how do I how do I achieve those goals? That you know of, of putting a voice um, to disability in every metal, it's quite a challenge to be honest mm. with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it really is. Um, so that's ongoing. That is ongoing. Cool. Well, I, I, I'm I'm excited for any project that's. Um, I think it's a noble cause to turn the lens on uh, on heavy metal and, and and the disability. You know, I think um, I think it's a, that's a that's a big story to tell. You know, and there's yeah. there's, there's kind of there's two levels of outsider status going on there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's actually part of the overall narrative is that music, heavy metal is the outsider's music and it always has been. And, and I think one of the reasons why, and people might ask me why download. Well, 
because Download actually is the most welcoming festival you could ever imagine. Not mm. just like the fans, but the, the staff and the crew and the promoters. You know, like they look after people with disabilities. Mm. You know, like there are be- there are bigger and better facilities and viewing platforms, and um, the camping is absolutely flawless for, for in the disability area. It's wonderful, um, and because heavy metal is the outsider's music. If you're an outsider in the rest of your life, there you're not. Mm. No one is, and it doesn't matter if you if you're in a wheelchair, or, or you know, or if you've got an invisible disability, or you're just fucking, yeah, you know, yeah. there to watch Tool. It don't matter, you yeah. know, like it really don't matter, and that's the beauty beauty of it. Yeah, it's, it, you know, and that's part. That's also part of it. It was like, you know, why I wanted to, why I wanted to, you know, tell that story is because actually. It's just to show the world, like what a beautiful community of people like heavy metal is, mm. and and um, yeah, I'd I'd like to continue that given the opportunity. Yeah, awesome. Well, I hope you can soon. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, yeah, great to chat to you, Danny. Uh, I really appreciate it. I really really great to hear your uh, hear your background and, and your story, man. No worries. Thank you very much for having me on, bud. It's been an absolute pleasure, and like a, you know, I think it's. Really, really nice to talk about photography in a positive light, given how difficult everyone's circumstances are at the moment. So, thank you very much.